I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version first. And then I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, same section of Scripture. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let's pray. Let's ask our Lord for his blessing on tonight's Bible lesson. Father, in the name of Jesus, uh, Lord, I pray right now that you would bless the reading of your word. Anoint it, Lord God. We also want to take some time to pray for the offerings that we're receiving here tonight. Lord, in whatever way, shape, or form they're being uh, offered to you, Lord God, to the church, for the needs of the church, and the support and financial blessing of the church. And we thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. Bless now this time. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, very good. Let me read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And it says this, Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. I want to read it again in the New Living Translation. And it says this, Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Uh, now we've been in this section of scripture for, this will be the third Wednesday, I think. And it's a challenging section of scripture, but I wanted to take this one last Wednesday night to give a little bit more information on this section of scripture. Because uh, we've talked about other aspects. We talked about the ministry of Abraham. We talked about the fact that at the perfect time Christ came to save us and the type of life that we had before we came to Christ. But here it talks about an heir, not hair like what's on my head, but an heir. And what is the definition of the word heir? A person who gets or has the right by law to get property or a title when the person holding it dies. Or in other words, an inheritance. For those of us who have accumulated any type of uh, material goods or wealth, at some point of our lives, what we have will eventually go to someone else. For those of us who have children, what we have will, will be inherited one day by our children. Our children are our heirs. For those that don't have children or spouses, someone is going to end up with everything we have one day. If you don't have a will, if you don't have a trust, or if you don't have some kind of a document specifying who's going to get what, it's eventually going to go to the state of California. So if you don't want California to get it, and you want somebody else to get it, make sure that you have some kind of a testament. Otherwise, California is going to get it, okay? Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says this, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry 
nothing out. We will not carry anything out when we die. As a matter of fact, we will need someone to carry us out. We're either going to be in a casket or we're going to be cremated in an urn, but somebody's going to have to carry that casket or somebody's going to have to carry that urn. We're going to have to be carried because we can't carry anything out. Can you say amen, church? Okay? So all of us, for all of us who have children, it is our responsibility as parents to do what? To teach our children, to train our children, to guide our children, to help our children understand what life is all about. Thank God that we have Christians, that we as Christians are bringing up our children in the ways of the Lord. We're doing our best to teach them. I see that, um, I see that, not, not, uh, um, Nina, Nina, I was going to call you everything but Nina. Nina, she brought her, her boy to church here tonight. I see that Albert brought little Dylan to church tonight. And who's that way in the back that's barely coming in right now? Who is that? That's your cousin? All right, okay. See, all these little kids, you know what these parents are doing? They're bringing them to church. Why? Because they want to, they want to teach them the ways of God. They want to let them know that God is on their side. And you know what? As they get older, they're going to have an advantage, church. They're going to have an advantage over all those other kids out there that don't know about God, that don't understand God, that don't have God's support or the knowledge of the Lord. These kids that are being trained in the ways. I wish that somebody would have trained me up the way these kids are being trained up right now in the ways of God. Because they will definitely have an advantage. Believe me. Okay? So all of this is preparation and training and education and support and guidance and energy and resources and love and effort for one person to for one purpose to prepare our children for the ultimate responsibility of handling the tremendous inheritance that awaits them so that they will not squander it away so that they will not mismanage it so that they will not abuse it so that they will not be overwhelmed by the mere responsibility of it so that they will be trained educated and mature enough to know how to use it in a way that will be a blessing and a support to them and not a danger or a hazard or a means of destruction for them for example a two-year-old should not be cooking on a stove. How many of you would agree with that? Can you say amen? Two-year-olds should not be anywhere near a stove. Why? Because they are too young and they will burn themselves. But eventually, as they get older, as they get stronger, as they get taller, they can be taught how to work around a kitchen and a stove and even cook a few basic things. And we as parents need to pretend that we actually like it when they cook something for us. Okay, that's part of the training. Praise God for that. But the opposite is also true. You can reach the age of 18 or 21 or an adult. But if you're not ready to handle that responsibility, you could squander that. You could mismanage that. For example, I've seen this happen so many times where a, a parent will leave their inheritance to their son or daughter who is a drug addict or an alcoholic. And it is so sad because they end up losing everything in the end. Why? They weren't prepared to handle that type of responsibility. Uh, it's, uh, I can remember certain... Uh, sports individuals, uh, you know, a lot of these guys that play sports professionally today, now there's a lot of help for them now, but in the beginning, a lot of these guys that played sports were from very, very poor communities, very uneducated backgrounds, and then when they would become professionals, they were handling millions of dollars, but they didn't know how to handle all that money, and they ended up 
getting burnt or losing it in the end because they didn't know how to invest. They didn't know what to do. I can remember even like Mike Tyson. You know, he, he was born and he was from uh, the ghetto in New York City. He was a gangbanger, total gangster, that wasn't well educated. He became the champion, had millions and millions of dollars in the beginning of his career. But because he did not know how to manage that money, he didn't know how to deal with it. He lost it all. Now, thank God he's stable now. He's doing well now. He, he got himself uh, recovered now. But, but it's such a tragic thing when you come to large amounts of money and you don't know how to manage it. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Okay? So, when we read Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, verse 1 says this, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, as long as he is a child, meaning immature, not ready to handle his business, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. You see, the heir... Even though he or she is a child, even though they are um, not of legal age, even though they are not yet qualified, even though they are not yet mature enough, even though they are not yet experienced enough, even though they are not yet knowledgeable enough, he is still master of all. Already he has rightful ownership of everything, but he's just a child. Then verse 2 tells us that the child, the heir, is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Let me read verse 2 again. Verse 2 says this, but is under guardians. Let me read verse 1 and 2. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Okay? So again, right now, our children are under our guardianship, under our stewardship. As our kids get older, they struggle more and more against this stewardship, against this guardianship, against this authority over them. Uh, Nina, I hate to break your heart, but one of these days, your little boy, um, Isaiah, Isaiah, you know, right now, he's sitting real close to you, and he's cuddling up next to you, and he loves his mama, and he won't go anywhere without his mama, right? But one of these days, he's going to become a teenager, okay? And all of a sudden, he's going to start pushing away a little bit from mama, and mama's going to cry, oh, where's my baby Isaiah, okay? But that's because he's maturing. He's growing up. He's becoming a young man. He's becoming more independent. And then he's going to become a young adult. And he's going to become even more independent. And that's important. We have to let our young boys become men. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying, church? They have to grow up. They have to become men. They have to learn how to stand up on their own and make a living on their own and eventually get married and eventually have a family on their own. They can't be cuddling up next to mom all their lives when they're 50 or 60 years old. No, they got to break away. They got to mature. They got to grow up. They got to be responsible. They have to become independent. This is the way, and that's our responsibility to help them to do that. That's what our responsibility is. One of the advantages of being in church is that we have other adults that can help us look after and support our kids. But this guardianship or this oversight of our children uh, or, or the heir will continue until when? Until the time appointed by the Father. How many of you know that we have a Heavenly Father that's watching over us? Can you say amen, church? We have a Heavenly Father that cares about us, and He will never give us more than we can handle. That's His promise. His promise to you and to me is this. I will never, 
ever give you more than you can handle. You may feel like you're about to bust. You may feel like you're about to break down. You may feel like you are overwhelmed and you cannot handle what you're going through. But you are to trust in me as your father. You cling to me and I will help you get through that situation. I know that you can. You don't see it in you, but I see it in you. We have to trust God that he knows what he's doing with our lives. Can you say amen, church? Okay? So in most cultures, there's a time that marks a transition point in the child's life, when, uh, which marks the point that they go from being a child to a young adult. For example, in the Jewish culture, in an Orthodox family, they have the bar mitzvah. In the Spanish culture, they have the quinceanera. In the English culture, they have the sweet 16. It's kind of sad because in the Jewish culture, the bar mitzvahs are usually for the boys and the girls get left out. And in the Spanish and English cultures, the quinceanera and sweet 16 celebrations are for the girls and the boys get left out. Let's pray that we are not violating somebody's civil rights. Can you say amen, church? All right? All right, the way the world is, our own kids are going to end up suing us because we're violating their civil rights. Anyways, a young person is recognized as a legal adult at age 18 and is a legal, at legal drinking age at age 21. There's a time when the child becomes mature enough that the parents begin to allow their kids to walk in and experience some of those rights that are given to the heir. For example, most, the most notable sign of a child who is now mature enough to take on some responsibility is the right to drive a car. Those of you that are older, how many of you remember when you had the right to drive a car? Wasn't that an exciting time in your life? Can you say amen, church? But before you can go out there to drive that car, you had to do what? That you had to get some training. Somebody had to teach you and show you and driver's ed and driver's education and take the test and learn the, the, the laws of the road and do all that. Stuff. You have to be trained before you could do that, right? I was talking to Evelyn earlier tonight because I kind of wanted to know how Nevea was doing because she's at that age now where she is starting to learn how to drive, okay? And so pretty soon now, she's going to be getting her learner's permit and she's going to be allowed to drive with her mom or with her dad or with another licensed driver, okay? And it's important because in the beginning when kids are first learning how to drive, they need that licensed driver to be with them and to help them and to guide them and to make sure that they don't get themselves into any kind of trouble. But eventually, they'll get their license and they're going to be on their own. They will be able to fully experience their rights as an heir without mom, without dad, having to oversee them. And it's part of growing up. All I ask Evelyn is please warn me when Nevea goes out into that, into that road, call me up so that I'm not on that road while she's out there, okay? Because I want to make sure that I'm not there when she's learning how to drive. Praise God. Now, here's the thing. How do we connect all this? Israel. In the Old Testament was like this child that needed training. They are heirs, but before they could walk in their inheritance, they needed training. They needed guidance. They needed teaching. They needed direction. They needed to grow 
and to mature as a people, as a nation, as a people of God. And God used the law, the commandments, the prophets, the judges, the kings. They built temples. They built kingdoms. God allowed them, the children of Israel, to see miracles, supernatural demonstrations of his power and of his faithfulness. And God always promised Israel that he would send a Messiah, a Savior, a Redeemer, a mighty King. God would say to Israel, one of these days, Israel, one of these days, you will reach the age of maturity. And when you do, I will send you a king, not just any king. He will be the king of kings, a savior, a Messiah. And this Messiah will usher in the kingdom of God, a kingdom no longer under the supervision, the supervision or the authority or the de- demands of the law, but a kingdom guided by the Holy Spirit, the spirit that will actually be able to live inside of you as a human being. How many of you are glad that we're living in those days today? Can you say amen? But you see, in the beginning, this was Israel's training and education. God was saying, you will no longer do things for God because you are demanded to do it. You will no longer serve God forcefully or under mandate, but you will follow God in spirit and in truth. You will follow and submit to God because you love God and you sincerely desire to serve Him with a willing heart. You will not go to church because someone is forcing you to go to church or because someone is threatening you if you don't go to church. You will go to church because you want to and you long to and you love to and because you love the Lord. How many of you tonight love Jesus and that's why you're here tonight? Because you love the Lord. You may have to put up with a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but you're here because the Spirit of God is in you, driving you to God, driving you to want more of the Lord, willingly from your heart. And that's what God was trying to teach Israel. But Israel, sadly, they kept fighting God and fighting God and fighting God and having a tug of war with God and not letting God have His way. But God said, I'm going to send you a Messiah. And there's all kinds of scriptures in the Bible. Let me just read a few of them where God speaks through the prophets of this Messiah that God would send to the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This was written 700 years before Jesus even came, telling the, 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 the people of Israel a, a Messiah is coming. Isaiah 7, verses 14 and 15. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Can you believe that hundreds of years before the actual virgin birth of Jesus Christ, God already told Israel what was going to happen? It's amazing. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathra, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. In other other words, the Bible is telling us where the Messiah was going to be born. 
Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 7. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers are silent, so he opened not his mouth. All of these are prophetic scriptures explaining to Israel the Messiah is coming and at the right time God would send him and then finally the time came when God was ready to release release Israel into its inheritance where Israel would be released into the world in order to evangelize it God has always wanted a people that would want to serve him willingly are you here willingly tonight church this is what God wants for us to serve him willingly that would represent him and bring glory to him that would be a light to a world that is in darkness and and stuck in the muck and mire of the world in other words a people that desire to do what is right simply because of our faith in god not because anybody's forcing us not because because anybody's making it no we choose to do what is right because we love the lord and it's the right thing to do we seek after god and we seek after righteousness and we're doing it willingly because we love the lord a people that would lead others to the path of salvation through God so that hopefully people would see the example of a child of God in us and they would say, yes, I want the same thing. I want to serve God in the same way. Christ was the catalyst. He was the foundation. He was the thrust to power and to anoint uh, the world uh, through this. He was the Messiah. And all of Israel has, has been waiting uh, for this Messiah, the one who would usher them into the kingdom of God. They've always been waiting for this Messiah. Even today, in 2021, Israel is still waiting for the Messiah. Why? Because they reject Jesus. Sadly, they reject the Lord. But listen to what it says here in John chapter 1, verses 39 through 42. It says this. Verse 40 says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Do you know how exciting that was? That he said, We have found the Messiah. He is finally here. And now I want to bring you to him. This is what happened with Andrew. Andrew was so excited because he discovered the one that the Jews have been waiting for for hundreds of years. And so he went to get his brother, Simon Peter, and told him that they had found the Messiah. If we go back to our text in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by 
the Father. According to the, to the, to the Bible, the Father has an appointed time for every major prophetic event that will occur in history and on this earth. Everything is happening on purpose. Did you hear what I just, I just said, church? Everything is happening on purpose according to God's time. You were born on purpose on the day that you were born because God wanted it that way. You can't get an attitude with God, okay? You were born on the day that God wanted you to be born, and you and I are going to die on the day that God wants us to die, and that's it. We can't argue. We can't fight against it. We have to submit to that. Everything is according to the timing of God, the Father. Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. In the life of Jesus, everything had a time. The Bible tells us that Jesus was born at the right time in history. Galatians tells us that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. When Jesus was on this earth, his enemies could not take him captive or kill him until the appointed time. They tried to kill him, believe me. They tried to trap him. They tried to kill him. They tried to mess him up, but they couldn't touch him because it wasn't the right time. John chapter 8 verse 20 is one of the times that they tried to take him by force and they couldn't do it. John 8, 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. They wanted to kill him, but they couldn't touch him because it wasn't his time yet. That's good news for you and it's good news for me. You know why? Because someone may try to take you out. But if God says it's not time for you to be taken out, guess what? You're not going to be taken out. Same thing with me. The Bible tells us that Jesus also died at the right time in history. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 and 18. Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Jesus knew that his time had come to an end. Okay, we're going to be celebrating that in a couple of weeks with Easter and the resurrection and Good Friday. At the right time, Jesus was born. At the right time, Jesus began his ministry. At the right time, Jesus ministered on this earth. At the right time, Jesus died. At the right time, Jesus rose from the dead. At the right time, Jesus ascended into heaven. At the right time, Jesus will come again. Let me say that again. At the right time, Jesus will come again. You may not believe it. It doesn't matter. But Jesus will come again. He is coming again. Matthew 24, 29 through 37 says this. 30 through 31. No, 30 through 35 says this. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The Father has the right time for every event, for every moment. The Lord's timing is perfect. Let me say it again. The Lord's timing is perfect. You may not agree with it, but I'm going to say it again. The Lord's timing is perfect perfect. He knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it and at the right time that he's doing it for. Okay, In the fullness of time, Jesus came to Israel. The long-awaited Messiah had come to Israel in and through the person of Jesus Christ. It was time for Israel, listen to this, it was time for Israel to receive her inheritance. The kingdom of God was being handed over to them and no longer would the law serve as its taskmaster. But now Jesus would fulfill the law and Israel would be able to walk in and experience the mercy, the grace, and the freedom that is found only in Christ Jesus. Israel had reached the legal age of maturity. But sadly, Israel rejected Jesus. They rejected the Messiah. And you know, sadly, as much as we pray for Israel and as much as we love Israel and as much as we appreciate Israel, Israel has been rejecting the ways of God for a long time. Remember when they were about to go into the promised land? But they rejected God. When Solomon built the temple, they had control of the whole world. But they rejected God, and they lost it. And now Jesus comes to save them and to bring salvation, to usher them and to give them the kingdom, to inherit the kingdom. But they rejected it. Today, Israel is rejecting the blessing. It is acting irresponsibly irresponsibly in handling its inheritance. Israel was now ready to receive its most treasured and longed for promise, the introduction of the Messiah of the world. The stage had been set, the one who would usher them into the kingdom of God. But instead, Israel rejected that opportunity. Now, right now, sadly, unfortunately for us, but sadly for Israel, the church The church has taken on that responsibility, the responsibility that Israel should have taken in in crying out salvation through Jesus Christ. Right now, the church is doing it, okay? They did the same thing when they were on the verge of going into the promised land, like I said before. And guess what, church? Our time is now. God's desire and good pleasure to hand the kingdom over to his children has not changed. It brings God pleasure to hand the kingdom over to us, but we must receive it and move forward with it in faith, believing we are the sons of God. We are the children of God. We are heirs of God and his kingdom. And as heirs, we have God's power. We have God's anointing. We have God's favor. We have God's promises. We have God's resources in and through Jesus Christ. It is ours because we are his heirs. This is what the apostle Paul is trying to tell us as a church. How many of you would agree that God's timing is perfect? Can you say amen, church? It was now, it was now time for Israel to receive its inheritance in the same way that you as a father or mother will find joy in giving your children what is rightfully theirs at just the right 
time. God was not ready to give to Israel the long-awaited Messiah. He was ready to hand over the kingdom of God to Israel, and it is his desire to hand over the kingdom to us. Look at this scripture here, Luke 12, 32. We're going to end with this. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't it wonderful, church, that God takes pleasure in handing over to you and I the blessings and the resources that are ours in and through Jesus Christ. Here's the situation, though, church. Paul is telling the Galatians, don't throw your inheritance away. Don't misuse your inheritance. Don't uh, abuse your inheritance. Don't mishandle your inheritance. Church, that's the responsibility that is for you. And for me, God has given us something very, very precious. And he's saying, guard it with your life. And use it, use it to bring life and blessing to others. Because you know why? There's enough not only for you, and there's enough not only for me, but there's enough to bless the whole world that we live in. Can you say amen, church? Let's do that right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do pray for our world right now, God. First of all, we want to thank you for the inheritance that you have given to us, Lord. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us not to squander it. Help us not to mismanage it. Help us not to abuse it. Help us not to take it for granted, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, not to allow the world to rip it off and to steal it away from us, Lord. Help us, Father, to use it to build, to build your kingdom, to take what you've given us and to build it even stronger and greater and more powerful, Lord God. We pray for those that are lost right now, Lord, that you, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will anoint the church in a way where we can reach those who are lost, that they too, Father, can take part in this wonderful inheritance that you have provided for all those who have chosen to believe and to follow you, you, Lord Jesus, as Christ and Lord. If you're here tonight and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. If you want to do that here tonight, I want you to say this prayer with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I recognize tonight that I am a sinner. And Lord Jesus, I understand that you died on the cross. You gave your body and your blood for me, for my forgiveness, and for my salvation. So tonight, I receive this free gift of salvation that you offer to all mankind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to believe that you said that prayer in faith, and if you did, your sins are forgiven. You are a child of God, and you are an heir of God, meaning that you have inherited all the things, all the beautiful things that God has for you. They are yours. They belong to you. And use them to do great things and accomplish great things for God here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Amen. Those of you that need prayer, the altar is open, always open for you to get prayer. God bless you, church.